I'm Dan. And I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Daniel, we're talking about Greg Moore, parentheses, ice hockey. Oh. Mm. Greg Moore, ice hockey. No relation, unfortunately. Spelled M-O-O-R-E. Yes, it so often is. Yeah, the, the, the inferior spelling, mm. uh, as, I would, as I would have it. Absolutely. Greg Moore, born March 26, 1984, is an American professional ice hockey coach and former player. I've never once watched a game of ice hockey. Have you? I think I've seen bits of ice hockey. In fact, I when I lived in the Netherlands, I went to a... I would have been, gosh, I don't know, maybe like, maybe 12, somewhere between 10 and 12. Mm. Um, And a friend of mine had a birthday party. It was a big group of kids and we all went curling, which was niche, but actually really fun. But in the same place, there was a load of ice hockey being played. And I remember just being completely blown away at how comically brutal and rough and physical it is. Yeah. It's crazy. There's literally a position called the enforcer. I only know that because there was a guy I went to um, uni with in my undergrad who was on the university ice hockey team and he was a beast of mm. a guy. And his his only job as the enforcer was just to tackle people. At least that's how he that's how he told me what he did anyway. The thing that gets me is how on earth you can do really dexterous stuff and play a sport, like basically play field hockey, but whilst you're also ice skating. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I've never once been in a position where I felt like I could do any kind of d- subtle movement <laughs> on ice skates. It's so unlike if you watch um, figure skaters or mm. not even something as professional as that, but just watching people, you know, over you know, over the Christmas period, they'll usually set up an ice rink somewhere and you can go and have a sort of scoot about. The way that they move on the ice is just amazing it's so sort of fluid and it's inhuman yeah it's really bizarre and going backwards and i remember there's those scenes from the u.s office um steve carell is a really amazing ice hockey player oh really yeah must have done it as a kid and and a sort of teen but yeah he's he's got it all going on you know he can move around very comfortably and there's there's i think maybe one or two episodes where um his character has to um has to do some stuff on the ice and it's quite impressive and it's just you know it's coincidental that you know well obviously they wrote it into the script because he's so good but yeah it's amazing it's an yeah. amazing thing I, I haven't i don't understand anything about the game though i i know that you can score points but that's basically it <laughs> yeah i mean um oh actually I tell you what i do have another reference point for this and that is the pixar movie inside out which is an excellent movie and ice hockey is like a big part of it have you seen oh, that yes yeah it's because it's got it's um like um, is it like Canada and North US states? It's all it's super popular, isn't it? Yeah, it's like Wisconsin and places yes. like that. Well, I mean, th- this guy, uh, Greg Moore, was born in Maine, which, as I'm sure you know, is the easternmost state in the New England region of the Northeast United oh. States. But yeah, it borders Canada. So it's again, it's a very northern state. This guy, right, I was just sort of scanning through his article as we were talking, and there's there's a... Uh, career statistics section there's sort of a playing career bit and his coaching career he played for four teams and these teams have bonkers names one noticeably more bonkers than the others right so because obviously in the uk we have football teams that are like manchester united or brighton hoven albion Mm. you know they're like location and some kind of organization surrounded it and there are some weird ones like sheffield wednesday and uh oh i don't know um, Tottenham Hotspur yes, or something yeah. like that. But this guy played for the New York Rangers, right. the Columbus Blue Jackets, Alpsburger Panther, and Grizzly Adams Wolfsburg. Wow. Wow. Grizzly, gr- Grizzly Adams Wolf... Why are they called that? <laughs> right, so that's, that's a German team. He played in Germany for a bit in the city of Wolfsburg. Why are they called Grizzly Adam? It doesn't say anywhere on their page about about this. That's crazy. Also, Augsburg. I've been to Augsburg. Is Augsburg where it had something to do with? Oh no, not Augsburg. Sorry, Wolfsburg. Ah, is Augsburg where Bach was born? 
Yes, and I think well, I went there with Chapel Choir last year. Oh yes, the German tour. Mm. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, no, Bach doesn't feature on an, on Al- Alpsberg's um, uh, wiki, so I think I'm wrong. Ah, <laughs> uh, fine. I'm trying to think. There's somebody that I can. I remember being a fairly big sort of big deal. Um, I think it. I think there was quite a famous meeting of popes. Maybe Rudolf Diesel is from Alps. Augs. I keep wanting to say Augsburg. Augsburg. Hmm. There's a basilica. I'm sure that's of note. Holbein the Younger. There you are. The the painter because Holbein. Actually, no, hang on. Holbein the Elder was the. Which was the one that did the the ambassadors? Was that the Holbein the Younger? I think it was him. Or maybe it's not. Or maybe. Oh no, no, I'm not talking out my ass. I was actually correct for once. That was that was Holbein the Younger, and Jacob Fogger the Elder, Saint Ulrich. Lots of people actually. Yeah, this is right. So I've I've just gone to Augsburg. So I've been to Augsburg Cathedral, which is the Catholic cathedral, and the Basilica of Saints Ulrich and Afra. Both of, I mean, both incredible buildings. Right. I'm fairly sure there's a statue to, there's a statue to some. Oh gosh, I can't remember. That's really frustrating. But yes, really, really stunning, um, <laughs> stunning place. There's a sentence at the, at the top of their wiki that's quite funny. It's like, according to Beringer, in the 16th century it became the dominant centre of early capitalism, having benefited from part of being the Kaiserliche Reichspost system as quote the location of the most important post office within the Holy Roman Empire. Wow. Aim high. I mean, if that's not a claim to fame, I don't know yeah. what is. So he played for he played in Germany. This guy. He did. Yes, this guy. Uh, sorry, Greg Moore. We, we should probably stop calling him this guy. I have his wiki right in front of me. Um, originally played uh, for the University of Maine. Then he was in the NHL, the National Hockey uh, League. Mm-hmm. Played in New York. Uh, signed as a free agent for the Philadelphia Flyers, and then moved to Germany after I think about five years four or five years in the American leagues, he moved to Germany, which seems to be like, I guess that's the, the hockey equivalent of someone like Wayne Rooney going to China mm. or Messi going to America. Like, you know, you go somewhere, it's like you get brought in as you definitely know what you're doing. You might get some bums in seats to, to, to watch our, us and maybe we can develop the club type thing. Well, like where, um, where did Beckham famously go? He went to that American, like was it the all-stars or something or. Uh, was it Las, uh, Los Angeles? Be, yeah. Sounds right. Uh, I, I don't know. Sports is one of those things, right? And I, I was funny. Pixel Wife was watching a show about this the other day. How, like, it's not that I dislike sports. I do get quite excited about them. It's just that I don't, like, I just don't particularly care about following sport most of the time. No, I think I'm the same. I don't have that drive in me to follow the Premier yeah. League or cricket or, or whatever it is. I love watching. I'll happily sit down in front of the television or in a in a pub, and there's, if there's some football on, particularly if it's Liverpool playing, say, then I thoroughly enjoy watching it and get very into it. But yeah, I don't have any interest in keeping keeping like a mental record of what the league table is like and how many points of who you know who's got how many points and what happens if somebody wins a game and where they go up or down. You know, I don't do any of that. I think cricket's slightly different. I I really enjoy watching cricket because it's so just. It's a totally different viewing experience, isn't it? And the way that you can engage with it's totally different too. I wish I had a lifestyle that allowed me to engage in something as leisurely as cricket. Mm. <laughs> like it's the only thing less taxing than playing cricket is watching other people play cricket. Yeah, it's just great and I used to I used to, you know, having it on the radio. It's great listening to the cricket on the radio. That it's so Oh, that's that's it's yeah, so yeah. That's a British cultural yeah. institution. I just, I don't know. Maybe we haven't found the right sport. Maybe, maybe we need to find the sport that will actually. Because there must be something, you know. It's not. Although I say that, I was, I was going to say like everybody must have a sport that they're like, this is it. I want to yes. follow this. But it does feel like some people and my parents, my dad was like this. It would just be like they would just follow all sport. Mm. Like it doesn't matter what it was, they would be interested in it. Like they, they would watch the rugby and the cricket and the football and the Formula One. And if the Olympics was on, or especially my mum liked like the uh, gymnastics or you know uh, athletics championships mm. or whatever. There's something in some people's brains that compels them to. I don't know. Like what? What even is it? Is it to stay on top of the news in a sport? Is it to know? 
who's going to win the football? Is it who's trying in the football or where players are moving? Like I don't know. I mean, I really love watching snooker and I really love watching the rugby. <laughs> Some very low energy sports and yeah. rugby. It's I mean snooker's snooker's brilliant because it's such a it's a it's a it's a tactician's game, isn't it? And the 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 skill required is extraordinary you know if you're watching someone like ronnie o'sullivan play it's just unbelievable but i think maybe you're onto something with finding the right thing i mean we i thoroughly enjoyed that late evening we spent in the ram university bar at the university of exeter watching the super bowl which i think is next weekend (laughs) isn't it uh that dates the episode um and, uh, yes, that was one of the most legendary Super Bowls in history. Yeah. It was the twenty oh god twenty seventeen Super Bowl, I think, which was like the one where the oh god was it the Eagles had a massive comeback. It was like famous. Or was it the Patriots had a massive? I, I, whatever it was, it was like a really famous one. Mm. And we got too smashed to really follow what was happening. It was brilliant. I had so, we had such a good time. I had a fantastic time, but I don't think I had too much to do with the football. And I like American football. I, if I can, I, I will try and watch the, the Superb Bowl. Um, I, I, I enjoyed watching it in the past. It's a question of whether Baby will let me watch it. I may be up anyway. But, but like, I don't... I've Every year I have said, this is the year I'm going to follow the NFL. And again, I have the same thing of I just... There's no, I don't have the hook in me. Mm. I, 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 don't, I don't have the thing that draws me in. Yeah. And I don't know if there is a sport out there. Like people, if, if people want to email in with suggestions of what sport you think I would enjoy, be my guest. We've had lots of people write in, haven't we, about quite obscure sports that sound phenomenal. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, was there one that was like wheel? Was it wheelchair rugby or something? Wheelchair rugby. We had a um, well, we had water underwater rugby. Oh yes, yeah. We've had we've had several, but I mean, Quidditch, the only of course. thing. Oh, yes, yes, Quidditch. Gosh, that's going back a bit. The only thing that I've ever followed to any, like, to, 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 in the same kind of way has been recently I've been following competitive Warhammer 40,000, mm-hmm. which is strange because I don't play competitively. I don't like people who could play competitively. And yet I'm still watching analysis of what, like, the latest balance changes means for the different factions and, um, you know, it, hearing about what the current meta is and stuff like that. And I've watched hours of content about something that I'm not going to en- engage with myself. I don't know why. So I need to find whatever the sports version of that is. Of Warhammer 40k. Yeah. So hang on, let's let's just go back to this guy. I'm just so he's uh, the other interesting thing about this guy is that he's about this guy about Craig Moore. Learn his name. Um, is is that he he's done that transition from being a player to being a coach, which not everybody gets to do. Mm. Like there's a there's a, a Sankey diagram there of like how the, you can have a hundred players and only one of them really gets to become a coach because there's fewer coaching positions available. Do you think if you're a professional sports person who used to play and you're on the bench watching people and and coaching them, is there a part of you that just wants to be like, let me do it myself, put me in coach? Oh, wait, that's me. I don't know, because it's so much more than just, you know, dictating or advising on what a player or players do themselves or with each other in a single game. You know, the whole planning of you know, the planning of the training and, and how you're building your team and how you're, you know, managing mm. substitutes within, a, you know, you know, f- football, famously a game of two halves, Simon. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, I think it's quite a big... You could, I could tell you watch a lot yeah, of football. Yeah. I think it's quite a big, it's quite involved. I mean, so um, Jurgen Klopp, who is the... Who's just announced he's leaving, that he's, he's leaving yeah, Liverpool. He's leaving Liverpool, which is, a, which is very sad because he's been, he's been pretty excellent, really. But I do think it must be quite. I mean, it must be quite a big, quite a big job. But is it so big that it justifies the amount of money that surrounds football and soccer? Absolutely not. No. no. Well, I mean, I don't understand really. But yes, without wishing to get like too technical or, or, or philosophical, even like money just sort of means whatever we decide it means, mm. right? Things only have value if we decide they have value, and enough people think that football is valuable that. That that we can put a dollar a a pound value on it, and more importantly, advertisers can put a pound value on it, and that's ultimately where all that money comes from. It's because it's something that draws in enough pairs of eyes and ears mm. that 
advertisers can make money off of it. And and that's the same thing with all the, the all the big things that we hold as being important in society, which are like big blockbuster movies, massive sports teams, so football or American football or what have you, music, like the things that are culturally valuable are the things that draw the most eyes for advertisers. Mm. If people want to learn more about that, by the way, because that also applies to sort of media in general and politics, I can highly recommend Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. Yeah, excellent book. Which is sort of makes this point. Yeah. Oh, I'm reading an excellent book. I can't remember if we talked about this previously, about Merchants... Uh, sorry, not Merchants of Doubt, uh, about uh, Ministry for the Future. That sounds dangerously like we're, you might be leapfrogging into uh, Critics' Corner, Simon. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, we mustn't do that. I do have an idea of what we should discuss in okay. Critics' Corner, actually. And I, I, did, I had a specific thing in mind. Is there anything else you want to tell me about Greg Moore? He sounds like a fascinating chap, and I'm sure he's a wizard on the ice. I can tell you that he is um, right wing in terms of his position on, on the not, hockey pitch. Not, not politically, politically, it doesn't say. Okay. Just say. <laughs> he has a right shot. So I assume that means he's right-handed. Right. He is six foot one. Okay. And uh, he weighs 210 pounds or 95 kilos. Okay. Or 15 stone or approximately eight Dan Moores. Yeah, right. Gosh. Chunky boy. Uh, he He's currently the head coach of the Toronto Marlies. What's a Marley? I know he was dead in the beginning. Marley and Marley, our heart was painted black. Yeah, what the heck is a Marley? Is this a Canadian? Th- we had that. We had an email last episode from um, uh, Canada. Let's see. Explain, America. Explain. What? What? What is a Marley? I have no idea. Have you? Can you sort of find Toronto Marley's etymology? Uh... Ah. As part of its relocation to Toronto, the team was renamed the Marlies after the Toronto Marlboros or Marlboros. Oh, Marl. Oh, and that must be named after a borough, Marlborough, surely. Yeah, a group of Toronto. But it was named after the Duke of Marlborough. Uh, where is Marlborough? Isn't the Duke of Marlborough? Isn't that Churchill's family? Yeah. Uh, yes, I've just got onto the wiki. Huh? Crazy. Well, there you go. That's answered that. So where is how, where is Marlborough? I'm still <laughs> Marlborough is one of those places where I'm like I know it's in the UK. My UK geography is so much worse than my international geography because I I, it, I just sort of take it for granted. I feel <laughs> I feel like it's like ah there's somewhere in England and it's like I have a rough idea of whether it's north or south usually, but I genuinely Marlborough is south central. The Toronto Marlborough Athletic Club was founded in Toronto and it was named. I don't. I want to know why it was named after him though. Yeah yeah yeah. Well, it must have been. It's a, it's a, some colonial nonsense. But brilliantly, on the Wikipedia page, they don't explain the connection. They just say, "Oh, yeah, it's named after him." But but but, but why? <laughs> if it's a, if it's to do with the British Empire, it's some colonial nonsense. He probably went over there and like stuck a flag in the ground or something. Mm. That, to be fair, that to be that that is how it works. Famously, Eddie Izzard says so. so. Yeah, that that is how most British history works. Oh, Mar- right, Marlborough is south of Swindon. So, shall I give you the most useless? If you're an international viewer, this will really help you nail down where Marlborough is. Get okay. So, draw a picture of the UK in your mind. It is south of Swindon, west of Reading, but north of Salisbury, and east of Warminster. South of Cal, <laughs> but north of Devizes, <laughs> and west of Chipping Norton. So it's in Wiltshire, is it? Uh, yes, Wiltshire. I don't know what more you want from me, Dan. I really clearly nailed down where Marlborough is. Directly east of Bath. More or less, yeah. I'd say it was north northwest of Tidworth. I wonder where, where's the border then? Because Bath's not in Wiltshire, is it? I can tell you where the border between Bath and Wiltshire is. I'd love that. I can tell you that because my dad technically passed away in Wiltshire. Ah. Because he passed away in Winsley, which was a cancer hospital. There's a cancer hospice there called Dorothy House, which is one of the most incredible places I've ever been in my life. Um, Really extraordinary place. Yes, I see Um, it. And it was just over the border into Wiltshire. So Winsley is, again, listeners, it's east of Bath, (laughs) but west of Bradford-on-Avon, east of Norton St. Philip, and about due north from Road. I see. Which is to say it's northwest of Trowbridge and southwest of South Raxall. Oh, it's it's northeast of Pease Down St. John. Yes. Yes, and, and White Ox Mead. 
and Hinton Hinton yeah. Charterhouse. Hinton Charterhouse. It it lines about equidistant between Hinton Charterhouse and Great Cumberwell. We we live in such a ridiculous <laughs> country. <laughs> I love it. And then we went and inflicted this ridiculous country on many other countries around the world. <laughs> We're like these names make too much sense. <laughs> I'm happy. I love the names in the West Country. I absolutely adore the fact that I can walk to somewhere called Limply Stoke. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, that there are so many. And for some reason in like Somerset in particular, like this part of the UK, and, and I'm sure everybody has their own thing about this, but the Somerset and Devon and places like that have just wonderful names like Farrington Gurney, Nebnet Throbwell, Clutton, um, Peasdown St. John. Um, there were loads. There was a bus that used to leave from Exeter that would take you places like Ottery St. Mary, but you could also go to like Clist St. Mary, mm. Newton Poppleford, yeah. um, Budley Salterton, of course. Of course. Famously. Um, well, where else? I'm looking at the map at the moment. Wimple, Aylesbeer, Colleton Raleigh, Dolditch, Dawlish Warren. Dorlich, see, Dawlish Warren is fab, isn't it? Oh, it's just, yeah. These are just a selection of some of the funniest UK place names. Oh, go on, hit me with it. They include Bitchfield, <laughs> Nether Wallop, Curry Mallet, Barton in the Beans, Droop, <laughs> Boggy Boggy Bottom, and Shitterton. <laughs> it's Boggy Bottom, Boggy Bee. Oh, and um, of course, in Yorkshire, I very, I, I nearly went to this school, Giggleswick. Giggleswick. Giggleswick, North Yorkshire. Yeah. Well, and I suppose the thing to mention is like we have all these silly names, and they're silly because the the UK has so many lexical influences. Like, it's a m- melange of like Viking influence and Anglo-Saxon and Norman and Latin and Celtic and and Gaelic. Like, there's so many that like you you you're exposed to words and phonemes that you wouldn't necessarily hear in in like everyday language. I get that must be why. Mm. It's fab. I love it. Well, you know what else is fab, Dan? And I look forward to it every single episode is hearing about your choral piece of the week. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Ah, yes. Choral piece of the week. Well, um, unlike last episode, I've actually I've actually come prepared because on this on the sort of oh, I love the PowerPoint semi near horizon. There's a particular performance of a particular piece that I'm really looking forward to. Um, um, I, in fact, I need to sort out tickets, and of, of course, it's the, it's a it's a sort of it's a Lenten classic. It's Bach St John pa- St John Passion St John Paxion yeah St John Paxman. <laughs> Let's get on with it. Here's your first movement for ten minutes. Um, yes, so uh, there's a particular performance I have in mind. Westminster Cathedral Choir will be performing Bach's St John Passion on the 14th of March, Thursday the 14th of March, and I'm very excited because it will be brilliant and the soloist will be fab and what better venue to have St John Passion than in Westminster Cathedral. So, yes, my choral piece of the week Bach's St John Passion. If you don't know it, don't be put off by the the size. I don't just mean in in length, but in <laughs> like in, in the scale of the work. It's just unbelievable music, and yeah. Now, before I lower my zipper, I just want you to know: before, if you don't know it, don't be put off by the size. Okay. <laughs> Once you've got past the first, you know, couple of movements. <laughs> You're, you might start to enjoy it. Normally I'm a soloist, but on this occasion... <laughs> I thought we might we, we might make it an ensemble affair. <laughs> oh, boys! <laughs> People get quite particular about pa- like the St John Passion in particular, because it's like Bach wrote the St John Passion and the St Matthew Passion. There is only the two, isn't there? I'm not I think one. he only did the two, yeah. And like, and, and for people that don't know, it's basically the story of Jesus being crucified. That's That's sort of the... Spoiler alert! But there's lots of different ways you can tell that story. And is it Saint John that was like cobbled together together more over like his lifetime, and Saint Matthew was like at the end of his life, he sort of wrote it more coherently? Is that the difference? That sounds plausible. Yes, I'm sure we've got readers who are screaming the answers there. I I know that I know that there's a difference between them. 
Yeah, because um, because some people prefer Matthew because it feels more cohesive and like a bit more polished, I think. Whereas people, some people prefer the St. John Passion because it feels a bit more, I don't know, a bit more human, maybe. <laughs> Which I I have to admit, I've never listened to the St. Matthew Passion in great detail, but I really like the St. John because mm. I was lucky enough to record uh, the University Chapel Choir performing it. I don't think you were performing then, I don't think. I don't think so i think i might have gone along to li- oh hang on no i was wasn't i on one of the cameras it was me and kit i believe who was on who were on the cameras for that oh right i wonder what i did i did something for you i think but yeah i think i might have been in the um in the in the audience oh, right. it's very good yeah i've just found a note here compared with the saint matthew passion the saint john passion has been described as more extravagant with an expressive immediacy at times more unbridled and less finished yeah, and that's the thing with Bach, because I find I, I I adore Bach's music, but sometimes it does almost feel like it's been written by a robot. It's like that's exactly the perfect note, and that's the and and the interpretation of it by a lot of, imp- of of performers is often that you perform it a bit like a robot, and you do sometimes lose that human quality to it. And it's why, for example, I really like Handel for that for that reason, because I think Handel you don't get that. It's very similar to Bach in terms of in in, in some ways in terms of style. Mm. But you, it feels very exuberant and human and and sort of you know joyful. Whereas some bar, I'm not saying this is all of it, but like some of it lacks that. And I like St John because it does feel a bit more like a human wrote it. Yes. Whereas I, I should give the St Matthew a bit more of a, a try. It's one of those. It's one to be one of those absolute masterpieces that I, I I obviously just haven't quite cracked. Although actually, funny that I should say that I am performing in a couple of months' time. I've just been asked to sing chorus for a piece I'd never heard of before. Have you ever heard of the Choice of Hercules by Handel? No, I haven't. No, I'd not. I think it's about forty-five minutes. It's quite a short oratorio. There's only I th- I think there's only about five chorus numbers in it, and they're all quite short. Chor- chorus numbers makes me think of like lots of high kicking and and sort of you know long dresses <laughs> hitched up to the above the knee. Presumably, it's not that kind of performance. But... Yeah, from the waist up, it's baroque, and from the waist down, it's rock. From the waist and roll. down, it's, it's the producers, it's it's Mel Brooks, all over it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I think considering the audience, there uh, there may be a lot of Zimmer frames dancing into the uh, <laughs> into Bath Abbey. <laughs> but uh, I love that scene so much; so silly. Um, but yes, I'd not heard of this before. It's another Handel oratorio. I mean, I know he wrote a lot. Actually, how how many how many guess? Go on, guess how many oratorios do you think Handel wrote? Oh gosh, I, can, I have absolutely no idea. I would imagine the number could be described as prolific. Yeah, he he wrote forty two operas and twenty four oratorios. Gosh, God, he was a busy boy. I mean, I imagine a lot of that was was churned out just to keep debtors away. I mean, it's nice to have a hobby, isn't it? <laughs> Is that what people said to him at the time? Yeah, it's like, and this is George. He's, he's got a new opera. Oh, it's nice that you've yeah. got a hobby, yeah. George. It's like I, I'm one of the most respected composers of all time. It's like, yes, yes, that's, yes. that's right. What's this yeah. one about? Something from ancient Greece. Here we go again. But uh, excellent. Okay, cool. So your, your 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 pick of the week is the St. Matthew Passion. The St. John Passion, yes. Wait, hang on. <laughs> My pick of the week is the St. John Passion. Is that the one they're doing in Westminster? Yes. I thought you said it was St. No, Matthew. we started talking about the okay. Matthew in, in relation to the John, but the John is what's happening on the 17th of March. Yes. So Dan's choral pick of the week is going to the John. Yes. Yeah. Music to our ears. So, Dan, in Critics' Corner, Mm. I've sort of spoken recently, you know, I said earlier I've been reading this book, which has been very interesting. But I wanted to get your take on something because I know that you're an Apple fanboy. Yes. And I know that you worked at the Apple Store. Yes. What is your take on the Apple Vision Pro? Oh, yes. Now, I'm very proud of you, actually, because you called it the Apple Vision Pro, which is what it's called. Whereas when we've discussed this previously... (laughs) You've managed to get it wrong nearly every single time. That sort of... I don't know what you the mean. The Chuckle Vision Apple, the... I don't know. I mean, gosh, what we do? The Apple Vision Pro Plus. Yes, that's it, yeah. The Apple Vision Pro Plus, yeah. I think it's very interesting. I haven't seen... I've watched one or two reasonably sort of detailed reviews of the um, device in question. I think it's comically expensive... I think it's three thousand five hundred dollars. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's almost ludicrously cumbersome, particularly with the 
battery pack you have to carry around if you're not plugged into the mains and even then you only get two hours with the battery pack i think the tech inside the thing is absolutely extraordinary and i think it's a very exciting step into spatial computing Mm. i would love to go to a store and try one particularly experiencing the what it's like to watch a film because it's just going to revolution it's i mean you know I think I think the cinema and watching things on the big screen in a dedicated building is going to be eclipsed by some by this tech that's that's coming out, particularly with the resolution that films are being you know produced at now. Very cool, very exciting. I'm never going to buy, not the first one anyway. But, but <laughs> if you think about it, it's like when the first iPhone came out. It was completely different, and then suddenly it it paved the way for touchscreen, you know, getting rid of the keyboard entirely. That was that was pretty revolutionary. Mm. And I think what this is going to do now is just encourage other developers to start looking into their own their own takes, which is only going to slowly reduce the price, make it more accessible. You know, we we, we went from the, the iPhone being incredibly premium and cutting edge to now, you know, you can purchase an iPhone SE, the most sort of standard phone they sell for a really, really reasonable price. But the but the iPhone does remain a premium item. Like it's still over a thousand pounds for the new iPhone. Oh sure, sure. But but that's if you're buying a, the new like Pro iPhone, right? If you're just if you're wanting if you're wanting an iPhone, but you're not bothered about it being, you know, all singing, all dancing, incredible. Then mm. I forget what the iPhone SE retails at. In fact, if you're not buying, particularly if you're not buying it new, I think you could probably get one for about two hundred quid if you bought it secondhand. But mm. yeah, I think it's it's interesting. See, so, do you think you? Do you think you'd buy one the second or third generation? Um, I don't know. If if the use case is... Well, because actually, that's, that's, I suppose, the better question is, what would you use it for? Like, genuinely, day-to-day, what do you think you'd use that technology for? I think until I try it and understand its sort of utility for a business case, I can't see me really using it that heavily for business. Because the idea is that you can have multiple screens, right? You can sort of sit down and you have like, it's almost like Minority Report. Mm. The idea is that you have like the different screens around you in, in yeah, space. Yeah, and they integrate with other products. So you can beam your laptop, your MacBook, whatever it is, Air, Pro, mm. standard, you know, you can beam that display into your headset while also using the headset sort of apps dedicated as So you can just have an entirely you know place yourself yeah i guess that's why spatial computing is really the only way to describe it Mm. i don't know how much i would use it for for work i would i would imagine i would use it quite a lot for sort of watching watching films or or you know or just sort of like relaxing and and just doing sort of personal work um as opposed to sort of like business stuff working through spreadsheets and things although i've seen and read reviews of how much better it is if you connect to a a wireless keyboard as opposed to trying to type mm, yeah, with yeah. the with the sort of the spatial keyboard um but i think until i've tried it i don't really know the, the the augmented reality and full virtual reality stuff is really cool and i can see you know sticking a pair of you know airpods on airpod pros let's say and, and putting them into noise cancelling putting your vision pro on that's it you, you know you can completely block out zone out imagine on flights it would be pretty amazing just be able to sit back in your chair and watch an enormous film and or completely eclipse everything around you and you know yeah i can see that as a a, yeah Uh, it's 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 interesting but i don't i think the problem is at the moment is that a lot of these reviewers are trying to review something when they don't have really anything to compare it to or any any sort of reasonable comparison which makes the review Mm sort of not a review do you know what i mean it's sort of like thoughts on it because to review it you've got to have some sort of well what you know what is it trying to do and be and i don't think anyone really knows yet yeah it's like if you gave a tech journalist in the 90s an iphone yeah they'd be like well this these are the specs and this is what it it can do but i don't how is how on earth is this actually going to function you know which which i think is marquez brownlee made the the interesting point that's like it's the most interesting thing apple's made for a while because it's entirely different and because it's got big downsides Mm. and we don't know what the upsides are it's genuinely an interesting piece of tech to cover yeah also it's hard to review something where a lot of the stuff that you want to be testing and trying is only limited to stuff within apple's remit like you can you can't watch you know, if you, I think it's Disney. I think Disney Plus and Paramount Plus are integrated into the headset mm. at the moment. But I don't think you can. I don't think you can watch Netflix unless you access it from within a browser within the 
the headset or YouTube, for instance, doesn't have, doesn't have its own dedicated Vision Pro OS, you know? Um, so then mm. it's hard to see because then basically you're just, you're, what you're doing is looking through a browser with a VR headset on, in which case then you can compare it to, you know, you know the Oculus Rift or, um, or Facebook's meta yeah. thing. I forget what that's called. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm going to make a prediction, Dan, and I'm going to base this off of previous eras of technology that have tried to be disrupted. Because at the end of the day, this is trying to disrupt the AR, VR market, like in terms of headsets, in the same way that you had uh, previously Blu-ray and VHS, you know, trying to disrupt the home entertainment market. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it will sink or swim, the, the, the Apple Vision Pro Plus, based on whether or not it will allow you to watch pornography. Because that is why VHS won over Betamax, and it's why Blu-ray won over HD DVD. Like though that was why those products succeeded, whereas their competitors didn't. Yeah. And I wonder how much of the success of this product is going to come down to that use case. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, but I don't know how much VR stuff or that's around already has disrupted that particular market do you know what i mean i don't know because i don't own a vr headset no. i've never i've never had that experience dan nor have i <laughs> so hey that could be the next video uh, we both say very quickly <laughs> next next video for spongy electric yeah. there you go. <laughs> but the benefit of the app of the vision pro plus is that it has that teleconferencing thing so what you could do <laughs> could you share a scene is this just like the holodeck with with extra steps <laughs> from star wars when you load up a program and your mate's like, oh, can I can I join? So something that is new and completely unique, I think, to the Apple Vision Pro Plus is that you can do, mm. like, I think they call it spatial video. Oh, yes, because you can move through it. Yeah, so it's like a holodeck. It is literally like a holodeck from Star Trek. Yeah. How it works is that it displays, it still displays what looks like... Um, a 2D the best way of describing it is within the virtual space it looks like you're looking through a window and as you move your head left to right you can new yeah bits of the room that you're peering into are, are appear which you sort of get with certain sort of sort of certain wallpapers on phones now you can get like an illusion of depth mm. with the with using the accelerometer in the phone i think it's sort of doing that it's 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 not quite at the point of it's completely you know it's doing three dimensional video but that would be an interesting thing because that, you know, that combined with the particular market that we've just been discussing, that would be fairly game changing, right? Surely there is a market for that. Like, surely that is a thing oh, definitely. that if people are willing to spend, the kind of person who's going to spend three and a half thousand dollars on this product would want that. Because I know that there is, it's one of my favorite words, and it's forever in my search history now. There is such a thing as the field of teledildonics. Okay. Which is sex toys that connect to each other from a great distance, sort of over the internet type thing. And is that where the Apple Vision Pro Plus is going to go? Sounds like a period of dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the teledildonic era. That was when yeah. sauropods were particularly dominant, I think. Um, but is that what people are going to do? Are they going to combine like um, sex toys with an internet connection with this kind of tech? And, it, and like, I, I, I'm not even being really, you know, um, superlative here. I genuinely think that is going to be a sink or swim moment for this kind of technology mm. and how much Apple will let people do that. Yeah. But anyway, that's why I was, I was curious because I'm not an Apple fanboy. I've, I've never had an iPhone, so I've, I've never been in the ecosystem, whereas I know you have, you know how that ecosystem works. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what, see what happens, you know, over the next, certainly, I mean, how people respond over the next year and what they do the following year, you know. Mm. It'll be interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And how the market responds to, that's, I think, going to be even more interesting than just particularly how Apple are doing it, because sort of they can do their own thing and hype it up as much as they like. But Yeah, yeah. What do other, what do other manufacturers do? Yeah. Well, with that and our mandatory discussion of pornography now finished, shall we go and thank some people, Daniel? Let's do it. Top lot. 
Okay, well, we find ourselves in Patreon Corner. This is just the brief part of the show where we like to say thank you to the people who listen to the show and who make it possible by supporting us at patreon.com forward slash the wikicast. And people choose to support us at either a dollar a month or if they're being very generous, five dollars a month. And uh, that goes towards paying for our hosting, paying for our wonderful editor, Fergus. And um, we will hopefully... Everything is just very complicated at the moment between Dan and I's lives, but um, we've been trying to organise Dan coming here to uh, open some of the posts that people have been sending us, and it's going to pay for Dan's travel for that. So, you know, it's all the fun stuff. The people who support us on Patreon allow us to make the show and do all the fun stuff. Absolutely right. So I would like to say an enormous thank you to those who support at the obvious primo pet of choice tier top dog. So without further ado, thank you to Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Lexi at Front Desk, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Nafleroc, Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, Amy Bonney, Sophie, Carnav, I'm Stuck in a PhD and I Blame Simon, Dan Nelson, Riley Stray, and Gentle Grudge. Whereas I would like to thank the people very sensibly supporting at top cat level. And I've got a bone to pick with somebody in the audience because somebody has signed up to top cat as top dog. Cheeky. Now, I don't know how I feel about this, but I, I, I now have to say thank you very much to top dog. I see what you've done there. Christopher Betterton, Cole Mansfield, <laughs> Dame Valerie Third, Dan Hanvey, Isabella, Izzy Cece, Jack Easton, James S, Layla Medina, Lexi at Front Desk's Arch Enemy, Nuffy Iftikar, Oliver Burkhart, Rents Kirk, Simon P, The Kyrene on Caffeine, Will Janice Humphreys, Anna Reifer, Lord Lewis Bassingdale of Annettsford and its surrounding provinces, and Nathan Flaherty. I'm not sure how I feel about this, Dan. This feels like uh, deception. Lies, even. I like it. I think it's. I think it's good. It's very good. Top lot. And in a slight break from scheduled broadcasting, we're making a return. We're just dusting off a particularly old tome. Um, <coughs> sorry, I, was I all see. Yeah, right. I thought something horrible had happened. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, it's just the dust. <coughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> It's Crisis Corner. It's made a return. Good grief, Dan. After all this time. Always. Simon, you've had a you've had a missive in. You have your mother's <laughs> eyes. Um, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. How, how disappointing. <laughs> it's that sh- post it's the it's the harry potter poop where every single like time anyone says anything of importance is just you have your yeah. mother's eyes. <laughs> That's good. I haven't thought about that video (laughs) in a very long time. Oh my god. Okay. Yes. Okay. Ah, breathe. Okay. Right. Yes, we have a missive here from a nonny chocolate mousse. Very good. Actually, what they've written is a nonny chocolate mousse. There's there's an accent acute on the last e. By the way, Dan, last last episode, I was certified A2 in French. I am now officially not the bottom tier possible of being able to speak French. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, I mean, it's through an app. It's through Busu, so it's not necessarily going to get me a job in the European Parliament. How are you finding the app, out of curiosity? Because I'm trying to get back into French. I love it. This is not sponsored. If if, Busu, if you want to sponsor us, what the f***? you thinking <laughs> busu uh, my experience with language learning apps i've had duolingo and i've had busu and duolingo i found was really useful for learning vocabulary but that was it it didn't teach me grammar in the slightest and i really like busu because it's like it's much more structured you have um sections that you go through with multiple lessons in each section then there'll be a point to it it will be like we're going to learn how to use the passé composé or um uh adverbs or the imparfait or whatever it is and there are different lessons within that and then there's a resource where you can practice either your grammar as a whole or you can pick a specific thing like adjectives or uh, gendered pronouns or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and you can practice just those things interesting i really like it i think it's really really good and i've been able to i've been doing it now for the year and a bit i think yeah would highly recommend really really good app Anyway, a nonny chocolate mousse has written in saying, Dear Simon and Dan, 
I have been diagnosed with ADHD since year four. So hang on, that's uh, nine year old, I think, year four. Um, I have been put on almost every medication for focusing. All of them cause me to lose my appetite constantly. Sorry, completely. So I did not eat lunch during the week and my personality would be muted and empty. I decided a year and a half ago in year 10 that being off meds completely was the best course of action for the time being. I then finished GCSEs with good grades, so continued. However, now being in lower sixth, I have been struggling with organisation and my grades have fallen through the roof. I tried to study, but with all the self-study time that A-levels bring, I find it hard to stay on track and get distracted. I'm weighing up my options but can't decide. Is it worth it to take meds again or should I keep going down this path? I feel nothing I try works in terms of studying, schedules, rewards and whatnot. Kind regards, Anoni Chocolate Mousse. Gosh. That's a that's a challenging one, isn't it? I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that it's great that you're aware and you notice and you notice and are aware to the point that you would write in. I don't. I mean, you know, we can try and give some of the some some advice that we think is good, but obviously it's not going to be um it's not guaranteed to provide all of the sort of all of the answers. Um, I think that while there is a lot of self study time through through a levels and 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 indeed um international baccalaureate as i was um i'm sure there are many uh readers who also did the ib it's completely appropriate to ask for assistance in structuring that self-study time in a way that works for you um with with your with your sort of teachers and and those in in positions of sort of authority at school I think a lot of self-study time is, you know, is often viewed as just being like, okay, fend for yourself. You, you know, that's it. That's just how it works, mm. which to an extent is true. But, you know, if you think about it, there are lots of sessions and things, certainly when I was doing my IB that were meant to encourage, you know, optional lunchtime sessions to encourage good um, study routines and study habits and understanding how long you can focus on for a given time before you start to, you're not, you're not really being as efficient as you would like. I know that unless I am absolutely sort of tunnel visioning into something and usually that's down to I've got a real interest in it or I'm working to a deadline, I can't focus for huge, you know, huge chunks of time without sort of just drifting off. So I might do, I don't know, maybe like I might do an hour of something if I'm not really, as I say, tunnel visioning, then I'll do an hour and then maybe, I don't know, go and have a leg stretch, make a cup of tea, 15 minutes, then come back and go in. But I think it's mm. totally okay to, to ask for some guidance there um, from from teachers. I don't know what what do you think, Simon? Well, I think I think it is important to stress that everybody finds that cha- that transition more difficult than I think you expect. Like I just don't think people are given enough support. At least I certainly wasn't in terms of that that journey towards being a more independent learner. So for one thing, as Dan says, you're yes. you're not alone in going through this. I also totally sympathise with your misgivings about being on medication because I was on antidepressants for uh, quite a while and I recognise, you know, you feel very muted. Um, if it, it has these strange effects on your personality. You don't really feel like yourself. Everything just sort of seems a bit kind of grey. Um, so I get that feeling completely. And I came off of those gradually because I felt like I could manage with the behaviours and with the situation that was causing me to feel anxious and depressed in the first place. And obviously with you, you are finding that that's not happening as much as you'd like, at least. It's not to say it's not happening at all, but, you know, I'm sure that you are managing more than you would have done had you not attempted all of these strategies. I think on the one hand, as Dan says, there are strategies that you can try that maybe you haven't tried yet. I would encourage you to consider to not think about this as a binary. It's not, I'm going to go on this medication or I'm going to basically raw dog it and, and just try and go cold turkey. I would, if you haven't already, absolutely encourage you to have another chat with your healthcare professional, your doctor, whoever that is, about the options available to you. Because maybe there's a lower dosage that you can go on to. Maybe uh, now that you're older, there's a different treatment path that you can go on. But I think what's clear is that the two options that you have tried so far recently have not worked particularly well for you. And if my experience is anything to go by, there's a lot of options out there in terms of treatment for psychological um, or psychiatric um, 
conditions like this. So I'm sure that in the past, you, you absolutely have spoken to doctors. Obviously, you've spoke, you've tried different medication. But I wonder if your new situation and being in, in sixth form, being a bit older, might um, uh, give you some more options. But I would absolutely say don't just research different drugs on the internet. Certainly don't try and get stuff over the counter just to try and treat this. It's so important when it comes to your mental health and um, psychoactive substances in particular to do as sort of the the healthcare professionals tell you to do. Like it's something to mess around with basically. So consider what your other options are, but make sure that before you do anything, you consult with people who really do know this stuff and want what's best for you. Because at the end of the day, that is what your doctor, what your professional healthcare professionals want. They're not the man or anything like that. They want to try and help you. And um, I know from experience that it doesn't always feel like that, but that is genuinely the case. So talk to them, trust them, consider if there is a third path out of this, basically. That would be that would be my two cents. Um, I hope that that was a little not completely useless. <laughs> I think it's quite sort of it's good, isn't it? Because on the one we've 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 tackled one thing from the perspective of what could be done to try and um, help from, you know, from a school perspective and what you can do to try and help from a sort of more personal um, health perspective. So I think maybe, you know, a combination of those two things there. are Yeah, there are there are options. I think Simon, you said it rightly in thinking like it's not it's not just a there's, there's not going to be any one binary solution. Yeah. Well, Dan, we do actually have another email. So should we uh, pop on over to correspondence? I, did, I bit my tongue whilst I was saying. <laughs> I heard that. Are you all right? <laughs> I just bit my tongue. Sorry. <laughs> should we head over to correspondence corner? <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester. Uh, okay. Where's that Tweety Bird gone? <laughs> Oh man, that's got me. We haven't had one of those one of those moments for a long time. All it took was me mutilating myself. <laughs> you think after thirty three years of my life, I'd be able to talk without biting my own tongue? Yeah, and yet here we are. But, but no, <laughs> suffering suck a day. Let's head on over to <laughs> correspondence corner. Gosh, extraordinary work. Well done. We have an email here titled Natural Views, Pub Quizzes and Steamed Hams. It reads, Good day, gentlemen. I hope that you both had an enjoyable Christmas slash New Year period. On the topics mentioned in the last episode, I have the following suggestions. On the subject of natural wonders of the world, perhaps I could just the fabled view from the only mountain to exist on the country I shall call home. Uh, hmm. Snaefell on the Isle of Man. Oh, yes. oh, cool. Snaefell, pronounced Snaefell, which <laughs> translates from Old Norse as snow mountain. It what? What, what? It's sorry, what? What? <laughs> it, 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 which what from Old Norse? Which translates as Old Norse. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. All right, carry on. What, what's wrong with that? It translates. Uh, this is bloody pole, pole again, isn't it? Yeah, it's polegate. Or Polegate. I mean, the last episode you suddenly turned into a farmer, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take your comments about my pronunciation with a bag of salt. <laughs> Snaefell, Careful that salt, mine. <laughs> Snaefell, pronounced Snaefell, which translates translates from Old Norse as snow mountain, stands at two thousand and thirty seven feet tall, barely clearing the height requirement to classify as a mountain, which is generally defined as two thousand feet. And there is a link to mountain. Uh, that's a, 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 I think a Munro is technically over two thousand feet. That's that's that that's um uh you know to be a proper big boy mountain in Scotland mm. rather than just kind of hill. Then uh, yes, you've got to be over two thousand feet. Ah. The vaunted reason for climbing or taking the nearly one hundred and thirty year old electric tram up to the summit <sighs> is to see seven kingdoms all at once. Perhaps you could both hazard a guess as to what they are. Uh, okay, first I'm just distracted by the one hundred and thirty year old electric tram. That's amazing. That is cool. I really want to go to this place now. All seven kingdoms. Okay, so that is Dawn. Yeah, very good. The Riverlands. Yeah. The North. Uh, the Iron Islands. Uh, oh, God. The Neck. I can't remember the, all, all the mountains. So hang on. Seven kingdoms. So, so that's got to be... Ireland. Northern Ireland. Yeah. Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Wales. 
Wales, England. That's five. Um, so, oh, ha, didn't like Denmark or Norway own some spits of land in the Irish Sea at one point? Uh, uh, sure. So I wonder, I wonder if it's, um, I wonder if it's something like that. Can you, could, could you technically, or did you, did you used to be able to see the Kingdom of Denmark or something? Maybe. Go on, put it, put us out of our misery, Dan. To aid international readers who want to play along, the Isle of Man exists slap bang in between the majority of the UK and another island. So right, so we have the United Kingdom. Scotland is actually the closest part of the adjacent isle, then England and Wales. Mm-hmm. Both islands then follow suit. Of course, that leaves two more. So we got the five. For those members of Gryffindor who are very good at clapping whilst doing maths in their head, that leaves two more countries. <laughs> With the surrounding land masses eliminated, that just leaves the sea, Neptunes, or more appropriately perhaps Manahan's oh, kingdom, the mythical sea f- namesake of the island, and the kingdom of heaven right above. These, of course, being somewhat dependent on personal belief. I like it. Look, I like it. It's good. Jog on. That's... <laughs> you won't find this gorgeous view anywhere else. And as long as it isn't fogged up, fact of life on small rocks surrounded by sea, I'm afraid, or windswept that day, I'd fight Snaefell's Corner for a seat at the Natural Wonder table any day, on a good day when it isn't cold or wet or windy. Right, so you can see five kingdoms. <laughs> I feel cheated. James, I want those minutes of my life back. Oh, I probably waste them anyway. Fine, continue. <laughs> I like how you were like, oh, it's probably going to be uh, Denmark, actually. I think it's Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that what I sound like? (laughs) Only in my head, dear. Moving on to the subject (laughs) of pub quizzes, I'd very much like to recommend the speed quizzing app for the purpose, if a weekly or monthly event uh, were to be organised in future. This is a faster spin on the traditional pub quiz, usually requiring split-second answering to gain maximum points. I like the sound of it. Speed quizzing. Yeah. I like that. I have come to be quite familiar with this app. Having sorry, sorry, C three PO. Sorry, I had to, it took me a moment there just to. Get the I have come to be quite familiar with this app, having um, been fluent in six million forms of communication. Having attended several pub quizzes with some colleagues from my new college, having started a degree in na- uh, nautical science last September. Wow. How do you think C three PO in the in the hot fuzz universe could C three PO translate for the really West Country farmer? Because if so, I want to see that version of Hot Fuzz. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Does Does he also do the <laughs> jog on, but yeah. with his limited hand motion? Like, Off grasshopper. Jog on. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be a big, small, what is it? If you want to be a big <laughs> copper in a small town, <laughs> off down the model village. <laughs> if you want to be a big, small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. I've seen, I've seen the film as well. Reading the speed quizzing documentation online, it says you can create your own question sets and player numbers for the speed quizzing web version can apparently be up to 200. Oh, wow. Okay. Although the formats of questions appear much reduced than the pub-centric local connection version, which I'm used to, which is, oh, sorry, the, all of my intonation there was completely wrong. Although the formats well, of questions appear so far. Just much carry reduced on. <laughs> than the pub-centric local connection version, which I'm used to, which is a shame nailed it finally following the steamed hams reference which graced this the episode i wanted to ask if either of you have seen a version posted in 2022 which animated each scene in a different animation style yes i have and it's fantastic it's so good we'll link this in the show notes if people haven't seen it it's fantastic looking forward to all the content to come from you both this year perhaps i can send you another postcard with some of snape some of the snaefell vista kind regards oh James S. Oh, so we've got a, we have a postcode. So we have a small pile of things in my office down that I really do want to open. I've been itching to open the letters and parcels that we've been given, um, and that's going to be a video on our Spongy and Electric YouTube channel. I'm, we've really got to get a date of the calendar for this. Also, interestingly, Dan, James has given us a postscript with the Apple Vision Pro launching. The pair of you having discussed what the options for glasses wearers would be in a previous episode, I just wanted to let you know, Apple has partnered with Zeiss. Yes. So it's all capitals. So it's Apple has partnered with Zeiss to produce what they call optical inserts to provide precision optics for people who require vision correction. I totally forgot that we talked about it before. Mm. I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but they do cost uh, quite a bit in addition to... An Apple product costing a lot. (laughs) Shocked, Dan. Shocked. Can't believe it. I will not believe it. (laughs) A day may come! No, I'm not going to do the whole speech. So, Simon, what have we learned today? Today, Dan, we have learned about that guy 
who is of course Greg Moore, parentheses ice hockey, oh, yes. who played for, amongst others, Grizzly Adams Wolfsburg. And then we went to talk on about Augsburg for quite a while. And we, we had a pretty wide-ranging discussion at the start of the podcast, not entirely to do with ice hockey, but not entirely not to do with ice hockey. Yeah, which is sort of the house style, I think. Yes. And then we had a discussion of the merits of the different passions by J.S. Bach. Yeah. And uh, we talked at some length about the Apple Vision Pro. Yes. Remembered the name. Well done. Simon Simon started chewing off his own tongue. Um, we, yes, uh, I absolutely did. <laughs> uh, and we, um, we, had a, we, we made a return to Crisis Corner. Yes, if people would like to write in with a crisis that they are going through and you'd like some terrible advice from us, it could be a real crisis you're going through or it could be something that you've made up. It could be You could be writing as Princess Leia. Uh, perhaps the Wikicast is her only hope. Uh, but if you'd like to um, send us in a crisis, then please do. We'll give you the email address um, now. Spongyelectricatgmail.com and that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. Join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our Instagram. Sports recommendations, crises, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And we'll see you next time. time.